think we're live, Anthony Smith. You sure? I'm not sure, but I think we are. <laughs> I'm going to talk like we are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk like no one's here. We're like no one's here. Conversation, <laughs> just the two of us talking about us talking. and economics. I mean, let's do it. Let's do it anyway. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, welcome to Freightonomics, the show where we talk about freight and economics together, uh, contextualizing the information and, of course, bringing you some information for your life hopefully that you can use moving forward uh, to be more successful in whatever your endeavors are. Anthony Smith, yeah, lead economist, Zach Strickland, director of freight market intelligence here with you. So Anthony, I believe we have some people to thank to get things rolling here. Uh, people we that do. are heavily involved in the supply chain uh, management. And of course, if you want to call it a crisis, somebody that can help alleviate that crisis. Yeah, that's big facts. I mean, there's a lot going on here and you need someone that can help alleviate all that and someone that can do that and help alleviate all that is Envision Global. And so I got to thank them here. Envision Global is a global, not just a global, a leading global freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise wide supply chain solutions with over 4,000 global business partners. Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry leading supply chain information management solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit envisionglobal.com. That's lowercase n because they're trendy. I mean, it is trendy. Envision. Everybody's already taken the the E's and the I's. Yeah. Just start. Something a little bit different. Dude, it's in a, it's so much more efficient. Just mm-hmm. go with a lowercase mm-hmm. n. Get it out of the way. Envision Global. Check yeah. it out. Thank you guys for the sponsor, but we have a lot going on today. It's a and big show today. We got a lot of info to cover. Like Got a lot of info to cover. And as always, I am checking in with you all on LinkedIn. Um, if you're not watching on the tv.freewiz.com, which you should be watching because it's really good stuff there. You can tune in there. You can see all of our stuff 24-7 on demand, essentially. So there's a lot of good stuff happening there. But if you're on LinkedIn, I'm here watching and monitoring the stream. So if you see me looking down... Not ignoring you. I'm looking at your comments here. So maybe you'll be a guest someday. Be a guest. That, that's a lot. That's a good <laughs> likelihood. If you're active in these comments and you have a whole bunch of good hot takes, it doesn't even have to be like the right one. It just be a good argument for something. So, um, but yeah, if you're active in that LinkedIn, I'm going to be watching. Going to be shouting you guys back out here. But without further ado, Zach, we got to jump into it. Man, we got to get all over this stuff. There's so much going on. Obviously, uh, October. Kind of a transitory month in the overall sense of freight markets. Uh, you know, you got quarter changes and it's, you know, kind of prep for this big holiday movement, if you will. Um, but supply chains have been pretty much <laughs> going haywire for the last year straight. And that hasn't changed. Now, something that I think we all need to watch, and I, I know that uh, one of our guests, uh, Chris Wolf, definitely pointed out. Um, CEO of PowerFleet pointed out that China, uh, their manufacturing infrastructure, things like that, all at risk. They're all big risk factors for moving forward into uh, you know 2022. And the topic of today's show, of course, 2020, like we're already living in 2022. Already living in 2022, might be further along than that. And we've got Wes Strubing, uh, co-founder of Titan Logistics, coming up here shortly to kind of dig into some of these. But this is one that I thought I wanted to ask you about first. China they had a slowing GDP number. Uh, and, and, you know, I look at the chart, Anthony, and I see that the GDP is kind of like, it's not that they like, it's negative growth. Don't get it confused. It's just slowing faster than people expected. Now, what, what do we take away from this? I mean, because does this mean that we're not going to get even more of our stuff 
coming into the United States? Or what are, what are we supposed to make out of this? So when I saw this number, my initial thoughts were, it's much worse than what they're reporting, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only surprise that I had was that they didn't report some type of astronomical double-digit growth uh, number. And I think that's the only reason is because you can kind of put a few things together and know that that growth wouldn't actually be real if they just put out the stellar number. So I think it's actually slower than this, uh, uh, really. And I think any kind so of growth- So you're saying you don't trust China's reporting? No, not <laughs> at all. And any type of growth that we do see is kind of that artificial style growth that, that has happened and within the country from time to time. So what I am seeing though, and my initial, initial takeaways is that, uh, yeah, slower growth um, from China, I don't think that's going to really be a huge um, issue for us getting our stuff because the big issue for us getting our stuff is the congestion, the ports, the position of the containers, the equipment, okay. the labor, all that other stuff. So I think that's going to be the main thing. Mm -hmm. I think once that's kind of figured out, that can, uh, now we can kind of start seeing, okay, are, is there something going on with China? Is that going to start to really hurt our, us getting our stuff? If anything, it's going to help us getting our stuff because they're going to want to produce more. They're not going to want you to nearshore. They're not going to right. want you to find other solutions. They're not going to want you to go to Southeast Asia. They're going to want you to continue to buy and do business with them. And hopefully their infrastructure doesn't get priced out. Yeah. Do you think some of this has to do with the Evergrande situation with the real sure. estate? Now, th this one's interesting to me because I'm like, I, I think they're getting a lot of heat for this from, you know, countries like us. But I'm kind of sitting there going, I remember 2007 in America isn't this something that we might should have done mm -hmm. uh, instead of allowing the real estate bubble to blow up? Is this similar at all? Am I off base? I, I think there's a, a rhyme there for sure of like, <laughs> just like let it do its thing without interfering or adding right. fire. Let, let, let a company fall. Right. And it let, it's not too big to fail or whatever it might be. Just let it fall. It's going to suck. It's going to happen. So I think that's what we're kind of seeing there. But the thing is with China is that they can kind of erase whatever they want to erase and smudge it over with any kind of government action because whether it's private or government, it's kind of the same thing there. Okay, interesting. It's a fascinating situation. Of course, they have fuel shortages too, power issues, which I think does have implications into the future for, uh, sure. for the production 100%. Uh, and whatnot. But I think at this point, now that we've crossed over that kind of uh, you know boundary line of getting goods into the United States before Christmas, Everything after this point is now going to have a little bit less sense of urgency on it, I, th I think, in some cases, not every case. Um, talking to Mike Vincent and Dooner about this the other day about how, you know, the Walmarts and the Targets of the world are not as, you know, impacted. I mean, they're definitely impacted, but they're not at, their business models aren't at risk for things getting into the country. But some of these smaller uh, companies are. Uh, feeling this pain. So, and this is the stuff that we don't see, you know, yeah. they're, they're lost in kind of the big aggregate numbers uh, that get reported. So I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on as China's product productivity measures uh, moving forward. And that's a big part there, their productivity. So mm -hmm. factory productivity, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, power outages that can really mm -hmm. start to hamper production further on down the line. Um, that utilization rate, how much utilization, how productive are these factories? not just in China, but also domestically. Are we really right. optimized? Are we really moving at the clip that we should be moving at or that we can possibly move at to really kind of pump out stuff? So mm -hmm. that's another big uh, point there, but it's a big one, but in the midst of everything, it kind of gets moved to the right. bottom of the priority list. Right.
Well, let's let's look at some memes real quick. Let's start. <laughs> let's, we started off a little heavy. Let's go to the memes. The memes. I only got two, and these aren't really memes. These are just kind of internet pictures. Uh, but uh, the first one that I have pulled up here, uh, this kind of relates to everybody dealing with labor shortages, which the, every industry, I believe, at this point is in some sense of the matter. The whole world is short-staffed. Be kind to those who showed up. Can you please? do that. Uh, you know, I think, what is it? The Karens, uh, people get called Karens if they're rude to their, uh, and apologies to people named Karen out there. <laughs> you poor things over the last bit, the internet has made your life a little bit more challenging, but the, uh, you know, drivers, the, this, this image makes me think of drivers. Like there's not a lot of you in comparison to the amount that we need demanded, uh, that, that are demanded in the space right now. We're going to talk about this here in a minute with yeah. some of our earnings reports. Uh, labor shortage is like a consistent theme throughout all of these, uh, these earnings reports and earnings calls. Anybody that shows up and is willing to work at this point, treat them well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and I then mean, the next meme, cause I want to kind of speed nothing. through these, not Let's to cut you it. off. Cause I know you agree. <laughs> I, yeah, be kind. Yeah, be kind of people. <laughs> be nice. I didn't know there was another. Let's see. Yeah, this is the this is the second one. Now, this one shocks me. This is more of an economic uh, image here. Let's Americans go. are spending big on Halloween this year, effectively almost, I guess, over two billion dollars more than last year on Halloween. Uh, this this is fascinating to me. This just this just, all this does is kind of add this idea that consumers are still spending that money. Now, these are facts. These aren't feelings mm-hmm. about how they want to spend money. This is, they've actually spent this money. And I know you're, you want to ask them if they feel I do, but about it. So I've been going on these subtle, not rants, but I've been showing you a little bit here on <laughs> consumer confidence and consumer sentiment numbers. And really because, and I also did a little sports mm-hmm. analogy with consumers and kind of how it translates over mm-hmm. from sports right now and how it fits into the, to the economic realm. But really I'm looking at actions not words. So the words being those surveys, those sentiment, mm-hmm. the confidence levels, they have some meaning and they can lead to something. And it's mindful. Mm-hmm. It's good to be mindful about what is on the mind of consumers, whether it be inflationary fears, um, economic unsta- instability. They don't spend that money. And But the thing <laughs> is, their actions are showing completely different things. Their quit rate is at all-time highs. They're spending at a pretty rapid clip on a back-to-back-to-back basis or a consistent basis, I should say. Um, so they are doing everything that a confident consumer would do despite voicing all these concerns of uncertainty and worries. And so mm-hmm. I, the, the, the thing that I compared it to, I don't know if you saw the heavyweight fight, uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. I saw the highlights. The highlights. So, you know, even though Deontay Wilder lost, the thing that I think Teddy Atlas kind of coined him having is that eraser. He is one of the strongest punchers in the history of boxing. Right. And because that punch has so much power, it can make up for a lot of mistakes that he may have made in the earlier rounds. The consumer is almost like the eraser <laughs> for eraser. the U.S. economy. I love economy. If there's all these cracks in the U.S. economy mm-hmm. and there's just all these issues, if the consumer is active and buying in a good position, it really makes up for a lot of the other messed up stuff going on. It can really make a lot of that other stuff worse when those that demand kind of eases, uh, increases through the roof and mm-hmm. strains the supply chain. But it can really be that thing that really overcomes a lot of shortfalls. And so same with football, speed kills. 
Devin right. Hester, a great uh, <laughs> kickoff returner, so fast. returner. <laughs> At any given moment, he can strike mm-hmm. and change the game and change momentum. And so I think that's one of the things we have to look at with the consumer is that they can always change the game. What has the most weight in any system, I think, obviously makes the most difference. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what you're, you're kind of saying there. And I think that's extremely accurate. Uh, you know, we have a lot of indexes in sonar and we weight them yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make sure, you know, a change in North Dakota doesn't have as big of an impact <laughs> as a change in Atlanta. <laughs> right. I know no, no uh, disrespect to North Dakota, but there's a lot of outbound freight in Atlanta controlling a lot of activity there. We see it in TV where New York and LA tend to get a lot of, because they just carry the most weight. That's where a lot of people live and exist. So let's move on to the news because we got a lot to cover before we get to West. And I want to make sure that I set the table appropriately. Let's do it. Some of these stories I'm going to zip through. Some of them I'm going to spend a little bit more time, but the overriding theme I think you will get here. Um, first up, we've got uh, driver wait times, are driver wait times nullifying carrier pay increases? This is a fascinating topic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, you know, covers, and, and I'm not going to get into uh, too much detail here because I want to move through it a little bit here. Desiree Wood, an independent owner-operator and president of the advocacy group Real Women in Trucking, said that due to increased congestion along the supply chain, shippers and warehouses have extended the hours after which detention is paid. So now they are saying, basically they're saying that, you know, there's a lot of shippers that they're not going to pay detention, but you're still going to wait. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you still got to show up. Uh, and, and there's a lot of discrepancy here in terms of what is detention and what's billable detention and what's not all sorts of stuff going on. This is not new uh, by any means, but um, you know the idea here, and one of the big points she brings up is, if you're paid by the hour instead of the mile, you don't have to make up pay by speeding through work zones or pushing past hours of service limits or beating the clock mentality. Also, the driver gets recognized in this with the wages because they're typically paid by the mile. Mm. And they're the only service sector industry that you can do this due to a 1935 uh, exemption that was put in place to where drivers can be paid by the mile versus hourly or salary like everybody else. Um, And I I think this is a fascinating topic to hear uh, in terms of like changing your pay structure. Yeah. Because I think in all of this, lost in all this is the carriers get their money. (laughs) Uh, either the detention pay or whatever, but the driver's pay is paid by the mile. There's not always something that says, hey, you get stuck in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. get you get stuck at a warehouse. You get stuck here. There's no compensation. You're not getting compensated for your actual time. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's an issue. I mean, I, I feel like that's something that we've kind of gleaned over. And I get why the carriers do it. They're trying to motivate the drivers to make you know, more miles, be yeah. motivated to work more because they are paid by the mile. <laughs> right. So you want to get your miles in. However, it doesn't necessarily make it equitable if they're not driving. <laughs> yeah, it's not, doesn't seem like it's a, a complete system yeah. in place that would really kind of cover all bases. It's almost like that, not an unintended consequence, but really one of those things where it, it doesn't fit every single situation. Exactly, exactly. So that's a good, I think that's an interesting uh, tidbit to, to move forward because Again, driver retention, huge issue. I know in certain, you know, dedicated or, you know, local fleets, they do pay by the hour and or route. Uh, There are other alternatives here, but this is largely impacting the -the over-the-road employee. So on top of that, we've had lots of earnings. (laughs) And, 
you know, Todd Maiden does a really good job of uh, covering a few of the earnings calls in, uh, you know, he's kind of recapping everything and truckload higher rates drive uh, more improvement despite labor headwinds. Uh, and that's kind of the theme is that carriers are charging higher rates now, but their costs are also increasing, but the rates seem to be outpacing, contrary to what that previous article just said, these rates are increasing faster than the costs are. At yeah. this point in time, at least, it, it would appear because of the way that margins are. But if you break some of these down, if you break some of these earnings calls down, the gross majority of them have a, have a very similar outcome. Their brokerage revenue really ex- expanded. Uh, their revenue in the other modes expanded. Lots of the fleets have come down in terms of like overall, uh, you know, they're selling off used equipment. Uh, they're not carrying as much asset as they used to. And... So there's a lot of moving parts here to unpack. And the dedicated units, so J.B. Hunt and Martin, both reported that their dedicated operating ratios, this is their you know, operating costs divided by uh, operating revenue. That's like, how much is this, how much am I getting paid to do this job? Mm-hmm. How much does it cost me to do this job specifically? Went down, or I guess they increased, which means that their profit margin declined in both the dedicated units. Yeah. This this is to this is to me is a financial analysis analysts like dream <laughs> because big revenue mm-hmm. <laughs> some expanding margins overall but then there's these units over here that had contraction you got any thoughts theories no but I, I so my initial thought is just going off of the growth of all these freight companies for sure during this mm-hmm. time and I'm I'm just I'm thinking of of course living in 2022 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, that not that business is easy, mm-hmm. but that certain businesses that maybe aren't as efficient are able to capitalize on the times right now and perform better than what they would in slower freight markets. And so right now I'm just thinking about where our margins going to look like, what our valuation is going to look like, what our quarterly earnings going to look like for those companies who don't have technology in place, efficiencies in place. Um, any type of order in place, you know, two years from now when it's going to be a much different, potentially, freight market than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's cert- there's all sorts of embedded long-term impacts that mm-hmm. we're not feeling just yet. You know, it's hard to tell, like, in terms of the, you know, the wait times erasing margins, that there's, there's a little bit of evidence for that in those dedicated uh, fleets, but at the same time, you're paying for the tr- the way those are charged are not by the same per mileage rates. Typically, they're typically like you get that truck for a day. Here's your cost all, all in. So that's not really applicable. You're yeah. you're you're waiting or you're driving. It doesn't matter. You're getting paid to have that truck more in most cases. Yeah, it's the over the road stuff. So but embedded in that dedicated rise of cost wages, mm. <laughs> other maintenance costs, et cetera, all coming up. <laughs> eating into that margin. Eating into that margin. So, you know, if you think about dedicated, they tend to be priced on a longer run cycle. We're talking about over the road, and we're going to ask Wes here in a second what he thinks about this. I know we, I think we kind of touched on this last time he was here. Uh, people renegotiating their prices mm-hmm. at a faster pace uh, than they have before. Dedicated, there's, there's always been a slower sense of renegotiating because you don't need to. You yeah. have that truck. Yeah. It's there, <laughs> yeah. whether you want it or not. 
there's a certain piece of capacity that's always going to be available for you. You don't have to go out to the spot market. That is your, your consistent rate. It's almost like a private fleet. Right, right. <laughs> if I haven't made the point clear enough now. <laughs> um, so this seems to be reflective of those costs going higher, in my opinion, because they're not able to renegotiate higher prices fast enough to keep up with some of these costs. Do you think that's possible? I think that is possible. Yeah. 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 I mean, I find potentially topics to disagree with you on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I find when you're going into the financials and breaking down the analysis, I'm like, yeah, Zach, that makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. All right. <laughs> I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as a win. Uh, you know, a few tidbits here. So Knight Swift blew up. They got, you know, their OR went from a 81.3 to a 77.8. Uh, but their average length of haul dropped 8.7% uh, throughout all of this. Their tractor count dropped 3.2%. Um in this situation. So did you hear that? (laughs) So more with less. More with less is what we're talking about here. And, uh, you know, Martin, same thing. Reduction in fleet size overall. Um, It looks like both their dedicated, uh, their tractors from the truckload segment declined to $14.99 from $16.37, an 8.4% decline. Um, So there's, we're seeing contracting fleets. This is counterintuitive to what you would expect. Uh, you know, am I right? Yeah. Like capacity needs to be available more and here we are watching some of these uh, companies sell off their fleets and um you know, Heartland reported a huge increase in gain on sale. <laughs> Interesting. So, they're selling off some old equipment <laughs> for premium prices. If you look at the used truck prices lately, they're almost double what they were a year ago. Yeah, it's getting comparable to a new truck. <laughs> yeah, and I know anecdotally I've heard plenty of examples of old trucks being costing more than brand new trucks when they were first released a few years ago. So some of this older equipment, taking it offline, this could, be, this could help expend the capacity crunch situation into the future, into 2022. We're talking about carriers, you know, contracting because they can't seat them. Gotcha. <laughs> Labor shortage. Yeah, they yeah. All, all of the people, uh, you know, Todd Maiden writes um, that basically the common theme throughout of the three carriers that have reported third quarter earnings at the time when he wrote this article, all cited labor challenges as a major concern in near and long term uh, outcomes. Yeah. Uh, and, and that just seems to be like, I hate to say like it's across the board, but it's across the board, not just in the supply mm-hmm. chain, but really the entire macroeconomy. Every single segment, every single industry we're hearing, labor, 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 mm-hmm. over and over again. I mean, when you're looking at, uh, of course, the, the thing with Biden saying we need to go 24-7, it's just kind of pushing that into the next mm-hmm. area where there's constraints with, of course, warehouse spaces and equipment and infrastructure, but then labor as well right? Um, for <laughs> all these things. And so that is like the thing that is really halting a lot of additional efficiencies right now. So I want to ask you something because this is this has been bugging me uh, for a while now. Like it just it's so bizarre to me that we have an unemployment rate technically higher than we saw at full employment levels pre-pandemic. But there's not enough there's not enough people to fill jobs. How mm-hmm. is that how's that possible? How does that work? Kind of help me reconcile this. So in my mind, when I think about this, is that there is an overwhelming amount of demand. And so even if all those roles were filled, which they, they can't be filled, 
Right. Um, it just kind of shows the inflated demand that there is right now because those jobs wouldn't be opened upstream or downstream. So you're saying there's new jobs that did not exist before the pandemic that are now, we're, 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 we've almost like kind of, but yet how do we have more people unemployed technically? So I think we have more people unemployed. So I'll, we don't need all those jobs. Okay. We don't need all those. <laughs> really at the end of the day, so I, this is strange, but I don't think we need all those jobs actually because those jobs are to meet the overwhelming amount of demand that we're seeing right now. And that demand is coming from the, the heightened savings rate, the stimulus package money that is dwindling now. Um, but we're seeing right. a lot of the this these job openings to match the overwhelming demand. Mm-hmm. That demand isn't going to last forever. And so as that demand starts to come down, we should start to see those openings start to come down. Those right. jobs start to kind of come down. Like, all right, we've kind of made do. We've, you know, got a little bit more efficient, you know. Mm-hmm. If we filled all those jobs right now, right. say we just got a bunch of people in the workforce filling those jobs, that demand would at some point in time start to come down. Because now when you're looking at uh, cost per employee, because mm-hmm. wages are going up, right. cost per employee is going to start to kind of eat into um, some of these businesses. And so that's the other big thing when living and thinking about 2022, the investment that you're making for 2022, 2023. Is that for the demand that you're seeing right now? So this is all for the demand that we're seeing right now, not for the demand that a lot of people are going to be anticipating, which is still going to be high in 2022. Right. I'm not saying it's going to be a fall off, but that's, I think, where the thinking is. And so when we're seeing all these jobs opening is to match the demand that we're seeing right now and not the demand that we're going to see two years from now, three years from now. So it's actually a little bit like a pull forward. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, just like the shippers uh, reportedly over ordered 44%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ordered more than they needed at, you know, at the moment, just to make sure they had enough when the time came. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in the job market. I think so. I think so. And I mean, that's going to be one of the things that we're going to see is after things kind of shake out in 2023, 2024, what business investments were made that didn't need to be made? What overinvestments were there in infrastructure were that was the wrong area because it was to match pandemic level of demand versus business growth demand for a different business cycle that we might see two, three years from now. Right. Same with hiring. So if say you just got and you negotiated yourself a great wage at a new job and you are just a rock star, you're killing it, you're earning your keep, you're going to have to make sure that you earn your keep through two years from now if you want to stay at that right. job. And if something changes, if you don't learn new skills and business kind of starts to come down and margins start to get squeezed a little bit, you're going to have to find new, create more value or else now you're an overpaid employee that really locked in a good salary, you know, during the pandemic, which right. is great, but got to continue to add value at, in all business cycles. Well, that's, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I know somebody that might. I think our, our guest who's been patiently waiting yes. here, Wes Strubing, CEO of Titan Logistics. Let's, uh, president and uh, co-founder of Titan Logistics. Founder. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's bring him on and ask him what he thinks about all of this just clutter <laughs> that we continue to see, Wes, in the freight market. Um, give us, give us a, Give us a quick recap or an update on anything that you've seen here in the last month or so since you've been on last that you've seen that it changed, how you're prepping for peak season, some of the things you're doing there. Well, first of all, 
it's good to be back, guys. It's good to see you. <laughs> good to see you as well. And I, we have a blue pullover coming in the mail. So I think next time you should be sporting a 2XL Freight Waves blue pullover. And I, I need every last inch of that. I look forward to getting it. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> of course. But Wes, welcome so, back. What have you seen lately? Yeah, thanks. What have I seen lately? Well, I will tell you that everyone at this point should recognize that this is a labor and supply chain crisis that we haven't seen since the Second World War, which basically means in our lifetime. No one's seen it. And you know, when we talked, we've talked previously about this, and we were hoping for some easing in this market by sometime in the first quarter. And I can tell you that you know, talking in the communities I speak with, no one believes this will even be resolved in 2022. They're looking hopefully for 2023 to be some sort of an ease in this market. But I don't think even that is a, is a guarantee at this point. And what you guys were talking about before is a whole lot to unpack. And uh, you guys made some great points. And Zach, you were right on, on target this morning when you take a look at those dedicated operations, which frankly, they are private fleets. In fact, some of those dedicated organizations even paint the trailers the same in, in the same marketing format as their clients. But the long story short there is their, their costs have gone up from a labor perspective and in an equipment pers- perspective. But those long-term contracts they have with organizations are very difficult to renegotiate. Yeah, that dedicated Conversely, space. Yeah, that dedicated mm-hmm. space is so hard to manage in a volatile environment. I mean, I, I kind of always looked at dedicated like a, you know, from a carrier perspective, kind of like that your bonds, <laughs> you know, your government bonds that you kind of held on to when things kind of got out of hand and, you know, maybe the market softened a lot faster than expected. But um, yeah, it's, it's, if you're a shipper and you have a hold of some dedicated space or capacity, I, I, you're winning at this point, right? <laughs> sure. Sure. But you may not be winning from a contractual perspective because they're tough to, again, renegotiate. It takes time. It just, those are really big contracts with lots of dollars that get a lot of scrutiny. On the other side of the coin, you said, you know, the brokerage operations are improving. Well, typically those are transactional based mm-hmm. and you can adjust your margins on the fly which makes it quite a bit easier to make money. Exactly. Yeah, no, the brokerage side, I think every single one of them reported a huge expansion in earnings. Now, and and this is not, these are asset-based brokerages that we're talking about, not your traditional, you know, standalone brokerages that don't have, like when the asset-based brokerages show margins like they're showing right here, I think that's kind of, to me, that's kind of a sign and, and feel free to add color here that, the market itself is just so exquisitely tight that the brokerage can now go off and do what a brokerage does. And that's, you know, identify, you know, high margin freight where they can um, and not have to worry about kind of paying attention to mom and dad over here, uh, you know, on the asset side and having to service some of their uh, utilization needs. Right. Well, let me tell you at least my perspective on that. When those asset based brokerages have agreements with other shippers, Mm-hmm. To a large degree, there's there's still a, a kind of an old school thought process around avoiding freight brokerages and really using only carrier direct relationships. And ultimately, those carriers are then being able to access the customers that do or will allow them to broker some freight on their behalf. And they're just doing it at better margins because it's not the same fixed stuff. All right. That's fair. So, Wes, my question is kind of shifting into... St- more so LTL and curious about what you're seeing in the LTL market. What do you see going on right now with rates? 
Oh, I mean, the good news in the LTL market is is rates are skyrocketing. They're putting all kinds of interesting uh, surcharges and over over length charges at the same time that service is absolutely deteriorating to all time lows. So that's all good news in the LTL market. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to pull up a chart real quick. you know, this is the LTL or the, uh, I'm sorry, the LTL and uh, truckload van contract rates. Now, these are, you know, showing similar movements. Um, van contract there in the green line showing a 22% increase year over year. LTL showing about a 7% increase in revenue per hundred weight. These are not necessarily apples to apples comparison, but the trend lines are similar here. And what you're saying to me, and this is the LTL removes all the accessorial charges. And of course, truckload does as well. These are all pure without fuel. Um, my question to you, Wes, like since you're saying, you know, LTL is removing uh, these, you know, they're adding on these accessorial charges, like the length of haul, linear foot rules and all this kind of stuff. Are we seeing that as kind of like this nuanced way of a mid-cycle rate increase? Yeah, I think that's what they're they're managing, right? So while you're seeing modest increases on the rate per hundred pounds, what you're going to miss in that equation is the huge increase in accessorials. And we've looked at it across our entire customer base. Those accessorials are really starting to add up. Yeah. I, what are the, what are some of the, uh, I know, I know typically we've seen some of the, uh, the mini bids and the shortened cycles in the truckload sector. Are we seeing any of the same stuff in LTL? Cause traditionally they are rock solid in that 12 month you know, if you're an existing account, GRI or bid cycle type uh, type sector, right? Well, I think what's really changed, especially for freight brokerages, is the LTL providers have gone to what they call dynamic pricing, which is officially my least favorite thing, which means <laughs> they don't guarantee pricing for more than 24 hours with some carriers. And that's incredibly difficult to manage against, as you can imagine. I, I can't even imagine the system that can handle that at this point. Um, so you're saying that they've actually, you've seen LTL providers go to a 24-hour pricing cycle? That's yep. I, And I don't want to name any names because I don't want to get in trouble. I mean. but, but yeah, a very large, in fact, one of the largest LTL carriers has dynamic pricing only for 3PLs, which means that they will price it okay. different every single day. So four three PLs. So it's not like their existing customers get that as well, right? And I think that, frankly, the LTL carriers were a little tired of losing business or direct business to three PLs, and this is kind of a response to that. Fascinating. Um, I, you know, for me, it's more intriguing just to see this happen. Like, how do you like systematically? Do you is this something that? I mean, how do you overcome that type of movement or fluctuation? Do you just have to call in every day, like it's a spot rate? So, so either you have customers that can tolerate that and it's okay, or we have to remove that carrier as an option from our TMS for our customers. That's a big one. Wow. Having to remove them. That was going to be one of the other questions I was going to follow up with. But the other thing I'm, I'm going to follow up here with is, do you see this as something that's here for a long time? Is it something that we're just going to have to kind of adjust to, or is this something like a trend that's going to kind of fall by the wayside and then make its way back in, uh, you know, into the picture when things really pick up again. So I think we talked about this last time we were together. We talked about the pendulum and it's swinging kind of back and forth and who has the power and who doesn't. And right now, clear, clearly, the carriers have that power because they just don't need customers the way they used to need customers. They have more than they can really handle at this point. But 
The truth is, at some point, the pendulum will swing back because things will balance over time. So this is temporary. But if anyone tells you they know the exact timing, they're lying to you. <laughs> yeah, Anthony was telling me he knew today. So <laughs> <laughs> they're lying, or they're with me. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, so I, I, I kind of want to back up on that same note. So we were. Uh, Maybe you listened to us talk. You heard some of our, what we were saying about the earnings calls. I, I want to hear your take on the fact that a lot of these earnings calls, a lot of these big truckload carriers are showing reduction in fleet sizes. And this is kind of counterintuitive to what you would think would happen uh, over the course of the last 12 months. What's your what's your thoughts here? Well, the first thought is that's because there's a driver shortage, guys. So they don't have as many bodies to put in trucks as they had before. So they're profiteering by downsizing fleets and things that would age out normal normally anyway, because like you pointed out earlier, used equipment, those rates are at an all-time high. And they I don't think they will get much higher ever over time. So why not? Which means then they ratchet operations down as tightly as they can and expect their customers to understand capacity constraints in this market. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. And the other big question I have around equipment, and I'm seeing, of course, there's delays with new truck orders, of course, and microchip shortages, all that stuff. But also, as these new trucks come in, do you see that a lot of these new trucks are going to be replacing instead of replacing uh, existing and older used trucks, as opposed to adding on to the new fleets? And of course, we're going to need new drivers for those as well. But do you see a lot of that new equipment coming online being a replacement more than an addition? Well, if the current price of used equipment holds, absolutely, it'd be a replacement instead of a new addition. Because again, you have the original problem we talked about. We don't have enough butts in seats. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I want to ask you if you've seen like, uh, you know, I don't know if you watched the, the Freight Waves Now this morning segment, the carrier update, but the we're seeing some underlying changes in shipping behavior, uh, such as increasing lead times. Shippers are increasing their you know, time between a request for the pickup and the pickup date, uh, as well as, you know, when Night Swift validated this as well, uh, reduction in average length of haul. Are shippers, you know, doing some new techniques here? Are they changing their behavior significantly that you've noticed to uh, try to get some capacity? So shippers have started, in fact, we talked about this last time too, right? And I said very clearly that if you want to look for savings in this environment, you better find it in operations because you won't find it right. in transportation costs. So and there's a few key factors to that. And lead time is one of those key factors. So I, in fact, I had a meeting with one of our, our really large clients last week, and they've increased their lead time by 0.8 days. Now, you may not think 0.8 days is a big deal, but frankly, it really is a big deal. Having an extra day to source trucks at the right rates helps drive costs down. Yeah, it makes a huge difference, especially when you're trying to manage a network that's already strained. Um, if you can get a day ahead of time, 0.8 days is massive yeah. um, in terms of overall management. So what about the shorter length of haul phenomenon that we're looking at? Is there any kind of experience or context that you can add to that idea? So, so I will tell you, um, one of our customers is the nation's largest retailer. So I don't have to say who that is, <laughs> but we watched them look at deploying more regional warehouses, which means ultimately they are, they're needing a less length of all to get things delivered to market as a strategy. And so I think that is my, my bet is 
their warehousing, in fact, you know, warehouses are full right now. Mm-hmm. They may be able to resource or find resources for warehousing closer to final mile market, which is reducing the length of haul. Yeah, that fulfillment center growth, uh, definitely yeah. <laughs> coming online quick. 100%. And, and Wes, so one of the things I think we were chatting about just briefly um, and, and messaging back and forth was expectations for 2022. Of course, internally here, uh, when I'm looking at the, the levers, when I'm looking at upstream manufacturing, when I'm looking at further downstream, of course, with retail or consumer goods, the expectation for me is that uh, there's going to be a slight easing and slower growth, but it's still going to be an absolute, you know, madhouse in terms of people being busy, shippers being busy, carriers being busy, everyone's still going to be busy. What are you seeing or are you hearing anything about what 2022 is shaping to look like? Um, I know in the freight industry, we have a history of over prepping and kind of late to the party. The next thing you know, there's too much and then rates get driven down. Not really kind of seeing that happening in 2022. Um, still, you know, very much of a rapid pace. But what are you hearing? What are you seeing so far? Well, I can tell you the consensus and the community of the people I speak to believe that there will be no easing of this crisis in 2022. So let's unpack that a little bit, Wes. Let's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts in this whole uh, crisis that we're talking about here. So what we're saying is, you know, the conditions will persist beyond what we call the traditional peak season when things are already chaotic uh, into 2022. Does that mean that, uh, you know, shipping demand will stay on par with what it is? I think everybody has kind of relegated themselves to the labor shortage issue being uh, a primary cause for this. But do you think that the demand will consistently stay high as well? So that really depends on inflation. And I think we're in, at real risk of some substantial inflation. I don't know about you guys, but if you've been shopping, we paid $30 for a bag, you know, large box of kitchen garbage bags this last week. And I was just in shock, but that's what they're going for currently. And groceries are kind of that first sign because they turn quickly and you can see those pricing changes, but the price of everything is going to change and it's all going to go up. And so once the consumer can't afford to pay for what they're demanding today, then I think you will see this start to ease a little bit, but it's almost impossible to predict exactly when or how that's going to happen or at what rate inflation will climb to. I think that's a good point. When we're talking about some of the levers or if there are any levers to actually be pulled or you know altered that would alleviate some of the congestion, a lot of the things happening right now. Demand has been that one. And uh, I think you make a great point about inflationary pressures getting to such a point where demand starts to ease in a sense. And maybe at that point in time, there is a game of catch up played. But uh, until then, it's really kind of a madhouse and a mad dash to more consumption, more goods. But $30 for a large <laughs> box of gar- or trash bags is yeah. that's telling. Well, I think it's fair to say that we're not like inflation's not going to have a near-term impact on demand. I think this last quarter is evidence of that. I mean, we've got more freight coming into the United States uh, than we can sort <laughs> at this point uh, for the next couple of months. A lot of that, of course, not going to get here in time for some of these orders to make it for Christmas. So, uh, Wes, what are your expectations for this upcoming holiday season, uh, retail peak around Thanksgiving, Christmas? Any Any nuances here that you're kind of getting a foreshadowing on that you think we may need to be uh, paying attention to? 
Well, it doesn't take a crystal ball to figure out the fact that there's $22 billion worth of goods sitting off the coast of California right now. Right. And a lot of people's Christmas is sitting right off the coast of California, and it's not going to get here. It's going to be a, a tough thing. In fact, I don't know if you guys saw, I, I imagine Anthony did, because Anthony follows me on LinkedIn. Zach, uh, you need to work on that, please. I've been, I've been snoozing, man. <laughs> I've been snoozing on my social yeah. audit. You're right. You're, you're killing me. Uh, but it was it was a funny little it it would have gone great with your gifs or your memes of the day but it's this girl sitting on santa's lap saying xbox chip shortage vans factory slowdown but it went through all these things and she finally says gosh i guess i picked the wrong year to be nice i should have nodded and santa responds with well we're short on coal too (laughs) That's good. That's good. And that's the one that I, I actually just sent out a like. And I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one for your that's quality. Uh, yeah. memes of the week. Well, I, I totally should have had that for today. Snatching <laughs> that one up for next week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> if you were dialed in, you would have seen that. <laughs> I told you. I'm 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 horrible at my social media. Uh, a lot of people know this, especially my family who I hear about it from. <laughs> <laughs> but Wes, you, you bring up a good point there. I mean, one of the things that we've been hearing, of course, I think consumers and those outside of the supply chain and transportation like that don't watch this on a day-to-day basis they're hearing these you know talking points you know it's hitting you know mainstream news about getting out there buying your 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 christmas doing your christmas shopping earlier um, and businesses really kind of extending some of the holiday shopping season um, to get it started earlier are you still are you anticipating that this is also going to last a little bit longer so we're going to see some of that, um, uh, you know, holiday season purchases kind of persist towards, of course, the end of December, but maybe into January and maybe even early parts of February. Well, I think the purchases will be made. The, the material won't be received until gotcha. later. Yeah. That revenue already gets gets chalked up, but not really. Not yeah. yet. <laughs> right. Right. And that's tough, man. I, I, I mean, as a business, like... You know, and I was talking to some of the guys here about this earlier. Uh, are you seeing some businesses truly like having, tr- it's, it's hard for us to imagine uh, in this economic, it appears to be at least an economic boom. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony Smith, uh, that there are people actually like struggling economically in this market. Are, are you seeing any of that with anybody that you, I mean, you don't have to obviously name any names or anything like that, but do you, is this existing in this environment? Sure, there are carriers that still are not doing well in this market, even though, frankly, from my perspective, they should be, which may be a, a management failure. But it, it is not all universally sunshine and roses in the logistics world, not by long, not long shot. And I think the real issue, again, is going to stem back to labor and the continuing demand to increase labor costs. Because, look, as we see inflation, those same people that are performing all the labor in our supply chain will need to be paid more just to survive. It's a it's a vicious cycle. True, Wes, and, and I think on that one, I I have a big question on if you think there is a because it is a vicious cycle, and it's like a this circle of needing more to pay for more, but now it's costing more. Do you see any part of that cycle being the the one that's really going to kind of all right? We're coming to a head here. Is it going to be? Do you think potentially like wages really getting to a point where they're just too high? And people start kind of getting laid off and then production eases or do you potentially see it as you know production's just not really being able to match and demand keeps going do you see any part of this this flywheel in a sense really kind of 
um, halting this vicious cycle? Well, I think uh, continued focus on automation is going to be a, a driver behind that. Yeah. But you probably should tune into can can your job be, be done by a robot.com? <laughs> Amen to that. Well, thank you so much, Wes, for uh, for joining us today. Uh, where can people reach out to you? I know on your LinkedIn, I don't need to hear about it. <laughs> but uh, where else can they find out more about what you do? Uh, contact us at logisticstitans.com, www.logisticstitans.com. Good deal, man. Well, enjoy and good luck uh, navigating these next few, uh, the the waters of the next few months here. You too, guys. Thank you for your insights too. They're always helpful for me. I appreciate you. And and Zach, what you what you lack in social media ex- expertise, you make up for in, in analytics. So thank you. There we go. I'll take I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll agree with that. <laughs> Big win. Big win today. I needed that boost, Wes. Thanks. Let's <laughs> feel a little. feel a little out of touch for a second. No, I agree with that. You, your analysis is pretty on point. I mean, I feel like that's what I, you know, know what you are, know what you're not. <laughs> it's like you've done this for some time. Like you are really honed in on making sense of numbers and telling stories. I don't know. It's like you've done this before. Maybe a, a year or two. All right. All right, Zach. I have, well, the control room, the production team, starting to kind of throw some fire at us with I mean, uh, debate topics. I mean, we got a big finish here with some debating to go on here. All right. this, is, this is a big one. So we just we just talked about, there were some huge takeaways today. Uh, Wes, again, dropped some bombs on me about yeah. that LTL dynamic pricing. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the big part about, I think you brought up a good point of that pendulum and how yeah. it swings back and forth and where but it is right now. But there's no sign of this. Like, into 2022, this is... This is the longest cycle I think I can remember in this mode. Yeah. In terms of, and then the expectations are for it to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, now, I like the altered, or not altered, but the slight change in uh, uh, sentiment towards 2022. So, yeah. my expectation that there's going to be strong, robust growth, just not at the same pace, but also that thought of it's going to be the exact same pace or nothing easing at all. So, I can't wait to see what happens, but yeah, great insights as always. These people selling trucks, you don't get those back immediately. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. So, well, give me some heat, man. All right, Let's so see what you got, I'm going to start it off uh, with, uh, of course, Ethan Carlson came up with one. Best Halloween candy real quick. Skittles. Okay. <laughs> uh, best horror movie. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Ring, The Ring. Okay, yeah. interesting. All right. Yeah. Um the letter Q isn't needed. Yes or no? Um, I'm going to quietly disagree. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, question here. Do you feel disrespected when someone calls you bud? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit disrespected. I'm going to be honest. Anytime you use that like whole, you know, what is the South Park episode? Hey, guy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. I'm not your guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally. Yeah. All right, I, so don't call Zach bud. Yeah. Bud. Hey, bud. It's real. I don't know why. I don't know why, but yeah. Chicago style pizza is inferior to New York style pizza. Oh, oh, you hit me right in the. I did. Uh, it, this, it's like a hot take, but it's also like me saying it right now. Man, I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect either. Either yeah. <laughs> pizza. They are both worthy of your time. Um, but there is definite time and place for both. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a bread ball. But um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna offend my pizza uh, fans okay. out there. So it's. I'm not. I'm gonna stay out of that mess. Subsegment to that. Detroit style pizza is just school lunch pizza. I don't even know what Detroit pizza is. It's like that 
like rectangle style. That is school pizza. It's school pizza. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> the no word Detroit. That's school pizza. <laughs> maybe maybe Detroit took some school pizza and said, "Hey, look, this is how we do it in Detroit." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the word frunk, as in front trunk, is gross and shouldn't be used. I've never even heard it until this moment in time. How does it make you feel? I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> Lake water is gross. It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do cavemen have ghosts? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Getting political here. Oh, no. You know I don't do this. But getting political. U.S. presidency should be forced on someone not running who doesn't want to be present every cycle. In essence, jury duty at the highest level. I agree and disagree at the same time. Because you mean, might get picked? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but I mean, think about it. The presidency, it's, it's, it's a thankless job. <laughs> You're never going to win in yeah. the long run. Uh, there's, there's just so much disagreement with how to do certain things. And of course, everybody is on you every single step of the way. And you really don't have, you cannot control all the levers. Mm. It's up to you. It's kind of like the head football coach. You know, you may not have, you, you can't coach up the tight ends uh, every day. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have somebody, you got to hire the right person to do that. And so there's, there's a lot of moving parts there that uh, you got to really want it <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be like, you don't like. That's the thing. You can't want it. If you, if you don't want it. It's just jury duty. You're picked in. You kind of, you, you open the door to kind of being, you know, <laughs> not doing it 100%. Next one. The most unnecessary vegetable. Oh gosh, unnecessary? Overrated? Overrated? Asparagus? Okay. If anybody even like, I mean, I think I know the answer to this next one. Oregon Trail needs a remake for all new platforms. Nah, man, keep it original. Wow, keep it OG. that's surprising. Or Oregon Trail can stick. You can put it on an Xbox if you want, but you yeah. got to keep. You got to keep some semblance of that same old graphics. <laughs> Health one. We need to ask Kaylee about that. Got to ask Kaylee about yeah. that one. <laughs> Is hand sanitizer a fair replacement to hand soap? Is hand sanitizer? No. <laughs> Wash your hands. With alcohol Last doesn't one. do everything. More funds or resources should be directed to the creation of new animals or genetic modification. No, disagree entirely. <laughs> Cody, please do not get in charge of a genetic lab anytime soon. Should pandas <laughs> be allowed to go extinct? No. <laughs> let them go. Let them fade away. They don't want to be here. Anyway, thank you guys. <laughs> Watch our TV.proof.com.